Shea, Sean, and myself, Aziz, back to discuss the final episode of the hit FX French TV show, Legion. It's French? Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's the... Leg Ion. That's the, yes, the anatomical science show, Leg Ion. You sure that's it? Are you sure? I think so. (laughs) That's how they've been saying it all season long. I think the thing you're getting wrong is it's actually the last two episodes we're talking about, not just oh, the last episode. Oh, you're right. Okay. The final two episodes of Leg Ion. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's an exciting conclusion to the season. There was a lot of things left open, some unsolved mysteries, as well as set up for the future plot and more explanations. And we've got a lot to say about it. What did you guys think overall with the conclusion of the season? I'll say I think the show had a much stronger first half than the second half. That is often the case with mysteries, with genre TV in general. I mean, conclusions are hard. I think this one was fine. I thought it was a little sloppy at times, but we're going to get into it. And I overall loved it. I think it's an amazing show. I agree. I like it all enough that I don't want to be negative about it, even though maybe I could nitpick about it some, or I think that the beginning was better than the end. But I still definitely liked it. I think that it was a, a pretty epic story that they're trying to tell, and that something that was consistent throughout was it's an amazing experience. You know, Every episode created some memorable imagery and distinct from each episode also. In a lot of ways, the show reminds me of Westworld, which similarly was a big production with lots of interesting characters and also a lot of mysteries, a lot of depth and mysteries presented in the beginning that toward the end, once you've kind of figured this stuff out, there's a little less to talk about and they end up in a lot more action sequences, which don't excite me as much. However, you know, I'm explaining why I think the last few episodes were eights instead of nines. They're still better than anything else on TV. I really love the show. In this episode, we're also going to not only cover the usual things we do, the visual and audio and meta elements of the episodes, but we're also going to discuss our expectations for season two. Some of that will be based on some interviews we read by Noah Hawley himself, so look out for that at the end. We'll be sure to let you know before we get into that if you're trying to avoid any season two spoilers. Narrative. The first scene in episode 7, as well as the final scene before the credit scene, that is, in episode 8, is a discussion, or rather, a talk of where is it. At first we see the devil getting frustrated over where is it. And then at the end, when they're driving away, they're, where should we look first? Yeah, and originally, because the devil was in David's mind, we were thinking that maybe he was looking for a particular memory. We were also thinking maybe it was an object, maybe it was a person, it could be David's father, you know, Professor X, it could be Farouk's body, the Shadow King's real body, I don't know how significant that would be, but we've also seen the theory that maybe he's looking for Cerebro. Right, Cerebro, if you're not familiar, is Professor X's tool that allows him to amplify his powers and 
to search the world for other mutants. And there's other things you can do as well. That's an, obviously a powerful tool that the Shadow King or any you know comic book villain would want to get their, <laughs> to their hands on in some way. Of course, I, I would think in order to use it, though, he'd have to have a host that has telepathic powers, which... Oliver does. Yeah. <laughs> Oliver also has maybe whatever scientific know-how. He seems to be, you know, an engineer of some sorts. So he may know how to use or modify the equipment. You know. That's a good point. Also notable is the fact that the Shadow King is interrogating Amy about this. And he asks her about the day that David arrived. He asks, where is it, right before and after asking her about this memory. That's why I think we... I like the idea that it was a memory at first, but now that they're driving in a car asking where should we look, that doesn't really fit as well anymore. But I think maybe they're, it's possible they're talking about two different things, but I, I don't think so. And they're headed someplace warm. It That's could be the same thing. Look, Looking for the actual thing and looking for the memory of the actual thing, both could be where is it. That's true. Where should we go, you know. So one thing that I've detected that was even pointed out by the showmakers is that Sid's character asks questions. Sometimes she's questioning why they're in a mental institution or how does this process work? She wants to know what's going on. Carrie's character tends to answer questions. He seems often to be the one filling us in as an audience, sometimes by telling the other characters in a show, but I feel like it's for our sake a lot of times to let us know this is how it works. This is what's going on. This is what we need to do next. It kind of keeps the plot moving. He's a good writing device for that purpose. You could just call him Exposition Loudermilk. <laughs> He's the real Professor X. Fandomedia.reviews. <laughs> <laughs> we have a conversation with Carrie and Oliver. Oliver, who also has both questions and answers. So in this conversation between Oliver and Carrie, we get a lot of uh, enlightenment. It occurs to Carrie what we all felt, we all missed. I felt like, oh, I should have got that, that <laughs> King the dog is the Shadow King. And Carrie starts to put it all together. I will say, we talked about a lot of different theories in this podcast. We didn't want to get bogged down in the comic book verse because they kind of tried to lead us to believe that it wouldn't be very much to do with the comic book. Shadow King was a definite possibility, but it was still nice to see that pan out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The character inspired me to kind of go and read more about the comic book canon of the character and his origin and all that. And that was fun. I like it when a show inspires you to read more or look at the extended material or just find other ways to interact with it. I thought it was kind of funny. They did like a back and forth joke here. Carrie kept finishing all of her sentences and Oliver kind of jokingly asked, like, are you going to keep doing that? And Carrie, of course, is so used to doing it because of his alter ego. And, and then Sid <laughs> finishes his sentence like I finished yours. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, when they're having that conversation in that little white space, Carrie and Sid, and he gives her the glasses, he 100% had time to say, it's the Shadow King's real name. Now go. Yeah, she's like, Farouk, who's that? And he's like, don't worry, just get out of here. Like, hold on, you could have given a little more explanation. <laughs> Takes a couple words. Also, a little bit of clarification that we got here was the line that you've manifested your cryogenic state into a literal ice cube, which points to the fact that they cryogenically froze him because he was stuck in the astral plane and it is manifested as ice because he's like this. Right, and they didn't want his body to die while yeah. he yeah. was off of the astral Whereas it could have been vice versa. Right, right, definitely. So this conversation with Carrie and Oliver also got a few highlight moments, some humorous moments. Oliver trying to remember bits of his past, asking if he had an, an Asian wife. Uh, <laughs> wanting to know if Carrie could sing in the barbershop quartet. It's also good. I thought we might take a moment to talk about some of our favorite Oliver lines. 
There was, you know, that dedicated follower of Fashion Line was a standout. That was my favorite one. For that episode, anyway, yeah. Yeah, over the whole time, I don't know which one was my favorite, but I think it might have just been the first time he broke out into beat poetry. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) What about you, Aziz? Do you have any standout Oliver moments? I'm not sure if I have one that that didn't stand, that stood out more than either of those two. I'm tempted to mention his story of the two types of, of stories that we tell children, but if we're just talking about funny moments, then definitely the poem where he talks about the same information was printed in Braille. <laughs> <laughs> Something else that had humor was David's new persona. Maybe it's new. I guess it's it was the first time we've seen it. Maybe we won't see it again. I don't know. The, the rational English... Yeah, British rational mind. Yes, that's got, that's right. The, the BRM. <laughs> <laughs> I am pretty, I am loved. No, that's not the one. <laughs> <laughs> that's regular David. That's what helped bring him out <laughs> later. We see here that David surmises or is able to figure out because he has Farouk's memories. He has the Shadow King's memories is what they seem to insinuate. So he's able to figure out and put the pieces together that... Farouk was defeated by some mysterious, powerful father who happens to be bald and British. No coincidence there. None at all. Sean Connery? (laughs) (laughs) But it does raise a few interesting questions. Like, if Professor X, as in the mysterious man, (laughs) (laughs) one, why did he hide his baby? Yeah, in the comic canon, they defeat Farouk multiple times, but he keeps coming back. He's like, his essence is connected to the darkness of humanity. So, like, in theory, you can't ever really destroy him. And maybe Professor X or whoever understood this on some level, that he's defeated for the moment, but he's going to come again. And when he does, he's going to be looking for revenge. So I need to hide my son away. But apparently it didn't work. My other question is, the Shadow King originally says that he's been with David since the womb. So was he exaggerating there, or was he really with him since the womb, as in when Professor X left baby David there, he was already with him? Yeah, maybe he was even misleading. In the chalkboard scene, it says he found him or was waiting for him, but if he's with him since the womb, that implies he got in there while the wife was pregnant. Yes. I really, really liked the chalkboard scene uh, in general. I thought it was really cool, the figuring everything out, just the way it was portrayed and the way it was done, like a kind of like a comic and in general, with the colors thrown in there too, that it was a nice touch. It wasn't just black and white on chalkboard, in particular the yellow of the chalk for the for the devil. But we also learn a lot of details about how this all works. That he, the parasite metaphor is extended. He's been feeding on David. We hear the term like a tick. I guess he's been gorging all this time. He's been hmm. getting more powerful, and and potentially recovering the power that he had before that that caused him to be defeated. He's recovering from that. I guess that takes a long time. But, as we also learned, Sid forces him out into the open when they switch bodies there. Mm-hmm. Right. He wasn't trying to, he maybe was intending to stay hidden longer, or clearly was intending to stay hidden longer, but to gain more power, apparently. But things changed. <laughs> I thought a great line from the finale was Sid saying, the power is real. You gotta accept it. Otherwise, we can't move on. Which is true for the show. We have to move past this not knowing what's real sense constantly. I get a sense there'll be less of that in the future because we know David doesn't have the Shadow King anymore. They won't be in his created realities anymore. Maybe Oliver will create realities and then we won't be sure. But I feel like that will be, there'll be different ways to tell what's going on. 
And we're going to see David in some tiny reality uh, coming up in season two, of course. And we'll get to see Sid saving her damsel in distress yet again. (laughs) So that childhood home, speaking of things that weren't real, that childhood home was, of course, not real. We don't see that it isn't real for sure. It isn't confirmed that it isn't real. It just is bizarre to think that there's a tree growing in the house. And that they could just easily access this place and it's so close by. They just seem to get to it (laughs) when they needed to go to it. Yeah. It was all very... No plane flight or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe it was partly real. Yeah. Um, I guess it's still kind of ambiguous, which is the point, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) But after this big scene at the house, we see them walking back to Summerland. They clearly have to walk back into Summerland with another stretcher, another scene with that. And you saw how they were all camouflage moving tactically through the woods so the division three couldn't find oh wait they were just wearing like white and orange <laughs> clothes walking slowly with a stretcher no wonder division three found them <laughs> so a couple of small scenes at summerland before we move on we saw the aftermath of the carrie and carrie friction of the fact that he abandoned her or so she feels and they do make up later we see that when you see what they went through you're going to make up, probably. You're going to realize <laughs> that you still love each other. But we also see a little tiny detail, which is Amy mentions emailing Ben, her husband. Yeah, a little more setting, a little more world building and time placement, I guess. Yeah, and then she's missing from the finale. I guess she just slept in. Yeah, I mean, she's had a rough go of it. and Her <laughs> husband was wondering where she's been, so... She sent the email. That's how they figured it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought it was a little odd, too, that... I can understand maybe they didn't want Amy to be part of some of these ongoings, but they let the interrogator be part of some of these ongoings. It seems weird that he gets to be in all these meetings and preview this information, but not David's own sister. Uh, I'm a little confused by it, and I'm kind of curious if we'll get some hint as to why that was in the next season. Another person that was kind of out of the action in the last two episodes was Patonomy. He was basically completely missing from episode 7 and only somewhat in episode 8, though he was at least there. And I started thinking about why he was missing, and I think it makes some sense of all the characters that he might be lost in his dreams and memories during these moments, escaping from it. Also, just from a narrative standpoint, one of the main things he did was help explore David's memories, which is not going on at all anymore. There's no one's memories right now, that they're looking at, and that's... So he, he hasn't used his power in a while, in other words. That's basically what I'm saying. Like, his power has been on the shelf. There was another thing I thought about, though, which was that we see a bit more of Rudy, the telekinetic guy. And we haven't gotten any backstory on him or any character development, really, at all, but we got this huge moment in Episode 7 where he helped save the day and where we saw that he was maybe gone for good, this sad sequence with him looking brain dead. But I didn't feel a lot for him because of that. And after the fact, I started wondering why they chose to give this material to someone we'd never grown close to when we had Patonomy out of action. Yeah, I wonder if maybe we will get more of that character in the future. It did seem like it should have been this devastating, tragic moment with him. But because we don't know about him that much, we don't feel as emotionally connected. And so the tragedy isn't quite there. It might have been more tragic for Patonomy to have died or suffer to be threatened in some way but Batonomy is probably the least connected he has the least close connection with any other particular character does that make we, sense so we see that when 
Carrie and David run in to wake up Sid and Carrie, and no one, all... no one comes for photonomy. Yeah, they're all coming to from the explosion or whatever, and everyone has someone to run to or to run to them except for Tommy, just on his <laughs> own. Like, yeah. oh. He's got two names, so... Yeah, he can can be. Paul can wake up a ton. (laughs) We do see a little bit more of his character in episode eight, in that he wants to kill them all. He is. He's kind of a hardliner, I guess you could say. There's maybe he's the most uh, taking the most extreme position. It's not an unreasonable position, though. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a reasonable position either. (laughs) You kind of see the logic. I think there's stronger logic, but. You know. He's also willing to just spray bullets into the room with everyone he knows. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was, I think it was valid, to be honest. The, the the small chance that you could get this person, this awful being, out of commission, from Patonomy's point of view, I can see why he did it. It's definitely reckless. So Melanie brings up this plan M, which seems to be something to do with moving, because she brings it up after the reappearance of the interrogator and the and the fact that they know where Summerland is. Yeah, that makes sense. M for moving. The interrogator appears and immediately makes a bad joke. He <laughs> says that he got his burns were the third degree, and of course, he's an interrogator. He gives people the third degree. That's <laughs> his job. And of course, this guy is very sarcastic. He likes to make jokes. I think he's pretty funny in general. I like this character. He's he's entertaining. It, it was it was odd that they brought him back, but he's a good character. Yeah, I can't begrudge them much for it. Especially when they follow up on it. When he's just not randomly back, we see that the trials he went through to recover and the determination he has as a character. And we even sort of see things from his side. Like, from his perspective, David's a bad guy. Melanie, this whole Summerland crew, from his perspective, are bad guys. Yeah, they're all ticking time bombs or potentially... Worse. Which deals with what we've talked about many times throughout these episodes, which is, what about these Division Three guys? They seem like they're a little bit justified. They seem like they're just working people trying to, as he says, save democracy. Mm -hmm. And here we see it at the beginning of episode eight. We see this whole sequence from his perspective that is just tragic, very tragic. And we see that David and Melanie and them are definitely the villains in his story. And potentially villains to the world. Like, so far we've been seeing these characters as protagonists. But even just now, we're kind of questioning Patonomy's actions, right? And David, or maybe the devil in him, one way or the other, you know, when you're like, I don't know, say this, peacekeepers, you might not care, at least at first, whether it's David or the devil. Just someone just burned a bunch of people up and blew a bunch of things up. And, you know, they're a hazard to society. My mind started spinning on this idea of how different society would be if just say everyone could fly or everyone had pyrokinetic abilities or everyone could read each other's minds. It would be a different world. There would be different dynamics of interaction and different governmental systems and laws to abide by. And I think it would also be different if 10% of people could do it. And even if it's not everyone or no one, somewhere in the middle is also going to just change the nature of how society works. And that's what Division 3 seems to be part of on some level they're trying to you know maybe what they do is kill that 10 percent that has these special powers or maybe they get control over them or learn about them but it doesn't seem like division three are pure evil like the shadow king seems to be pure evil you know surely yeah i'd say they even make a point to humanize the interrogator here we see that he has a husband he's gay He's a real name. It's Clark. They have an adopted black son. It's like if you had a checklist of things that might make someone a little bit sympathetic yeah. to the Legion viewer, 
those are things that would intrigue you and make him more complex of a character. Yeah, if they gave the Shadow King a husband and a child. <laughs> it would make me a little more interested in it. If they give him a wife and a child, even. I just yeah. mean that we see he has a family life. They adopted someone. I don't mean to take away from your point. Uh -huh. I, I mean, one, to, to point out how the Shadow King is so clearly evil, even if you gave him that stuff. And two, if you gave him that stuff, even being clearly evil, still makes him more interesting. David... By the way, we've mentioned that there are a lot of actors from Fargo, Thank Noah Hawley's other project on this show. We had mentioned there were five. Well, here was a sixth. That's uh, Clark, the interrogator's husband here, who has been in Fargo and also Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which we also review, and some other good movies. And we see that he and a bunch of military figures are watching through Clark's new, you know, messed up eye, kind of like the eye's eye, I guess, but not... You know, not a mutant power, just sort of a similar sort of... Though it does make me wonder if it's possible that Division 3 has been watching through the eye's milky eye this whole time. And it makes me wonder what ability they have to improve the human condition. I mean, they healed him pretty quick and pretty well. Yeah, maybe the eye had... Diff his powers were, you know, the bullets passing through him and his touch to knock people unconscious. And the eye thing was just something that they implanted in him. Yeah, like, I started like to wonder if the eye maybe is... A position not not necessarily that character that walter he wasn't the lieutenant or the captain he was the eye and now clark is the eye like a role in their intelligence gathering i will say a theory i saw recently that was interesting was on what the eye's powers were it was the idea that if he could deal with perception and what the what people see that he could not be immune to bullets, but he could be making them all see bullets. So it makes them all scramble and hurry, mm. but bullets aren't actually flying. Which is an yeah. interesting way to turn that around, but not give him just huh. more abilities. That's neat. So in this room of shadowy military figures, one of these guys is in charge. He's some sort of general. General Stanley. General Stanley. Okay, we got a name. And he, first of all, is prepared apparently to nuke everything there's something called the peacemaker which they sounds like a bomb it sounds absolutely sounds <laughs> like a bomb yeah and then they but then they have the equinox device which they do deploy and that's almost clearly what takes david away in the ending credits it scene. took a while to get there though it surely wasn't even close to instantaneous we had time to see the aftermath for david to change his shirt it flew away slowly, too. It was, like, waddling off in the air. That's why they thought it was cute when it approached. They were like, oh, that's a cute little drone. I think it likes you. you mm -hmm. know. Not so cute. <laughs> Another question that I had was, does Division Three or, well, they do now, did they know that David had the Shadow King in him? Yeah, Clark is asking, are you seeing this? When he's seeing the Shadow King flash on the screen in the control room there. And we also had Brewbreaker saying, it wears a human face when he was killed. Which sounds like he didn't know about yeah, this. Originally. But he was starting to figure it out. So I agree that they may have started to figure it out. But remember, at the same time, it seems pretty clear that Division 1 has authority over Division 3. And we've mostly seen things from Division 3's perspective. So Division 1 may know things that Division 3 doesn't know. We also saw Bureau 19. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also possible that Walter know or suspected if he has some connection to Carrie, and Carrie knew, then maybe he knew or suspected. Yeah, I, it did make me want to, like, rewatch the first episode and reevaluate the different questions they were asking him and what they might have meant or been looking for. 
we see a potential for some sort of olive branch between the two sides at the end, but it's initially offered by David before the conflict happens and before the interrogator sees, well, he sees what he sees and is almost killed. And before the Shadow King is just loose in the world. Before mm-hmm. he was in David's mind, so yeah, David's the threat. They didn't know what they were faced with, right. Now, but before this, David offers peace, basically. He says, the war is over, if you want to. And then Sid follows up by continuing to tell him the truth. That's how Division Three learned about the Shadow King in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point. And at the time, though, they were like, no, there's no way. How could we possibly have peace? You're going to do what? what you're still going to be a threat to us, even if you say you won't be. You know, we're still back where we were. But then... Yeah, the Shadow King emerges, and then they realize, okay, clearly this is a bigger problem. And now they have a common enemy. Yes. They may, <laughs> they may still have other issues to address, but for the moment, we've got this common enemy to worry about. I did think it was really funny when David just was like, war is over. And you're like, okay, it's not that easy, David. You can't just say that. He's, he's somehow this Zen master now all of a sudden. He's like, no, it doesn't quite work like that. By the way, that's a quote. That's a John Lennon quote from uh, the song, Happy Christmas. I think is the name of it. It's War is over if you want it. That's the line from that song. Awesome. We also had another great quote in, with that kind of thinking, wars would never end, which is exactly right. That if you just keep that war mentality, thinking that people are a threat to you, you're not going to have any peace. Yeah, that was a diss track written by Paul McCartney. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who wrote the song, You Don't Have to Be Afraid, that David was singing over and over there. I will say that nothing makes me feel more at ease than someone repeating the same phrase with different emphasis on the words to me. (laughs) As their eyes flutter and they start to sort of pass out while they're saying it. And you know that they're possessed by a strange evil parasite. I mean... Really calms you down. (laughs) But he definitely should be afraid. And at the end of the episode, we get that play out again, the punchline to this joke. Remember how you told me not to be afraid? (laughs) All right, that was a mistake. Yeah, I thought, by the way, that was the devil kind of getting control over David there saying that, that it wasn't really David saying it. There were a lot of great conversations with the interrogator in general. The conversation with Melanie was another really good one. It was sort of the same concept that keeps coming back, which is the, which is how threatening the mutants are to the human race in general. I guess, you know, they're all humans, really. But, you know, I, I, for lack of a better term, <laughs> homo sapiens. We also get a bit more concrete detail here. We hear there's 50 of you, and we're a tactical arm of the United States military working in conjunction with government agencies all over the world, yada yada. But the point is, is that Division Three's perspective is that there are at least less than 100 mutants in the world. She gives a great line, you better learn to fly like a bird because the age of the dinosaur is over. And she's married to a bird, and she's a dinosaur herself because Melanie does not have any powers. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And I'm not calling also- her old. I was, I was going to say, Anne has also aged beyond Oliver, or oh, maybe everyone sorry. else, you know, from her generation. But No, I'm not calling her old either, though. <laughs> David? As predicted, the connection that Sid made with Farouk early on when switching places with David in the very first episode became a key factor in how Shadow King was defeated eventually. And that seemed to be clear as far as what story elements were in place to defeat the Shadow King. Sid's body switching, you know, we surmised that that would be crucial. And, of course, it did turn out that way. Though it turned out in a pretty different way than it than we predicted. It went further with the body switching. Yeah, absolutely. It was really cool because I think they knew it would 
probably people would probably figure it out. So they kind of decided to layer some more onto it to add to the surprise. And it also made so much sense for her to switch into Amber Midthunder's body. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right? She's the one that's going to kick ass here, right? <laughs> yep. That did Clearly sense. the Shadow King has a thing for beautiful brunette ladies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to all this body switching, though, we have some interesting conversation between Sid and the Shadow King in the astral plane. We learn that Sid's mother had cancer and died of it, which was an interesting bit of backstory to me. And talking about it, it seemed to give her strength in the room. Like, it gave her, the devil was, had to back off. It was like a, their own little astral plane battle, and it was like this surge of emotion gave her more strength, almost. She was saying, stop, and she had control there for a little bit, and until... The reality of the situation was explained to her, which is that, look, I'm going to kill him. And, you know. You can't unmake soup. That was a great line. Yeah, yeah. That's a really great metaphor for that. The Shadow King had uh, another subtle line that I didn't catch in our first watch, but is in line with his character, some subtle sexism. <laughs> You're smart for a lady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something we didn't see coming was the fact that he would go somewhere else from David, because like you said, or like Carrie said, he needs a host. So it made sense that we would not have some new character introduced to be that host. It would make sense that it would be someone we already knew. And in retrospect, it makes perfect sense that it was Oliver Bird, the telepath, who someone can has similar get powers. into the astral plane. Exactly. It makes yeah. perfect sense. We didn't consider it once, though. Yeah, no. <laughs> no we, we, we'll pat ourselves on the back for the one and, and give ourselves <laughs> a thumbs down for the missing this one. We see some really heartbreaking to me scenes with Oliver and Melanie here with it seemed promising in episode seven with that breakfast scene. I thought he was remembering her when he put the flower in front of her. I really did. But no, he still didn't remember her until just before his possession. Yeah, a little extra tragic for him to start to put it together right before he gets, right before he loses who he is. Uh, a little detail was that Melanie did her hair a little differently when she went to ask Oliver out to dinner. Kind of an odd style with half bangs and like a little fringe and half her hair swept back. It was a little weird. And later on when we see Lenny with Oliver in the car, she's wearing pretty much the same hairstyle. Yeah. Which points to me to the idea that the Shadow King is using the Lenny form because they don't want to write Aubrey Plaza out of the show to trick Oliver into thinking he's interacting with Melanie, who he just remembered. Yeah, instead of Lenny replacing Benny, she's going to replace Melanie yes. in his memories. And and that this this is very, fits really nicely because his memories are already pretty much toast. He's <laughs> just starting to remember. Like, there's not a lot that pretty easy territory for the shadow king to work with like this guy's memory is already really compromised like i can just this, there's no resistance here at all i can change what i want in here i can make him think he used to be a you know pizza ceo <laughs> <laughs> you know does every character's name rhyme lenny benny sydney melanie oliver anthony carrie <laughs> autonomy <laughs> everyone except david yeah. and amy. clark yeah amy yeah philly yeah. <laughs> Man, there are a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> the interrogator. Oh wait. Yeah. Everyone except. Let's see. Not not Walter. I call him Terry. <laughs> Calling him Terry from now on. <laughs> That's why Paul changed his name. He's like, yeah. I don't even rhyme. <laughs> Visual elements. This show often has a very different style visually from episode to episode, with some things carried over from you know for, throughout the season. But there's often certain very distinct devices that they only use in one episode. So we've broken them up for episode seven and eight, even though we're covering both together. 
for episode seven, there was the really old school film black and white thing that they use with the silence and the words being on screen and as well as the chalkboard room scene. Yeah. So both of those were really cool. Continuing from other episodes is that Tim Burton feel. And in fact, I swear Aubrey Plaza is turning into Tim Burton himself. <laughs> Google images of Tim Burton. Like imagine without his beard or when he was hair. younger. Yeah, he's got the same hair. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 7 started with these hallways. These flash- flashing of the hallways and Carrie being chased by the eye. Which turned out to be false visions, most of what was going on there. As we saw later with another very cool device, which was these glasses that allow you to see through the haze, which I'm sure most viewers wish that they had themselves. (laughs) But these glasses basically made everything black and white and got rid of the awful, crazed, almost zombie-like people. One of the few characters that's real in this spot, of course, is the eye. The eye really is chasing her around. And when he catches her, he tries to strangle her. He really, like, apparently is trying to kill her there. And instead, he gets folded up. Yeah. <laughs> it was really gruesome. It was really good visual effects. It was trippy as hell when you start realizing what's happening, that his eyes are like bulging out and then his face is getting sunken. It was really cool. And you see it from two different perspectives. You see it in the astral plane hallway, black and white, and then you see it in the David's childhood home and as it fades from Rudy into the eye and then yeah. they're all... And the blood pours just out, out of his, his eyes. face yeah. and eyes and then he crumples up like he did. And Carrie mentions that later. It's like, you didn't see Walter's, you know, blood coming out of his eyes mm-hmm. and all that. Another really cool visual element here was Oliver conducting that lexical shield that he makes out of words that says the words shield. It's all little S's and H's and all those letters. That was all so letters. cool. I like the music that accompanied that too. Another cool visual element that they had featured all throughout episode 7 in particular was all of the eyes all over Clockworks, from in the stones in the ground to on the walls to a solitary eye to both eyes, all obviously the devil Shadow King's eyes. We get to see the other perspective of that, which was the kind of brain control room, which she was keeping an eye on everything, and then we showed it was a literal, it's a literal eye on everything. It was also continuing the television screen motif that room that seemed to be some control center david's brain was a bunch of tv screens all over globes everywhere interestingly yeah yeah but we also saw that there were some limitations it showed that the shadow king couldn't watch everything at once and and we also learned that he uses a lot of energy to keep david's delusions in place to keep him from figuring out what's going on which is an interesting rounding out of the character showing where his weaknesses are and how how the search is very distracting and is, explains how some of the characters were able to dig their way out of this problem while the Shadow King is distracted. One of the sequences I really liked was during that Oliver's conducting scene was you see David in the looping rooms and his frustration and his screams as he just keeps going into the same room. And sometimes it moves on to a new room, but it repeats multiple times. I was wringing my fist. It's like, do something different. Just go go back in the door. Stop doing the same thing over and over again. It's not working. <laughs> it's the one time I think that he had that kind of intense, crazy look when it was just him, though. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. the devil. So it was like he was doing that himself, which I thought was pretty interesting. It was just he, he really wanted to save his friends, but he was really frustrated. Mm-hmm. But he was really ready at the same time. Yeah. He was raring to go. When we first see 
David trapped in his mental coffin, there's some extremely quick back and forths where he's screaming and yelling and beating his fist, and Lenny standing calmly in the therapist's room looking out the window. And I thought that was really interesting. That's the way episode 7 was introduced, and I thought that was really neat. It was a very good way to show the dichotomy of Lenny in control, David frustrated and angry, but helpless. Yeah. Until rational English guy came along. (laughs) (laughs) We also see... In the Ice Cube, when Carrie meets with Oliver, we see some things portrayed visually on the walls, like David screaming and yelling in the brain coffin there, just on the wall. I wish my TV was like that. <laughs> it was sort of like the control room that Lenny was in with the, mm-hmm. the brain controller. It wasn't an Ice Cube, but it was really similar. You could just like call up a panel there that was a vision of something. Yeah, the Ice Cube wasn't as chaotic as David's mind. That's a good way to put it, yeah. And then, of course, at the end of episode 7, we see that the Shadow King has broken a crack into the coffin, and we see more of those cracks as episode 8 plays out, which I think is a cool visual of the flashing back and forth between Lenny and the devil facade. Which is a good segue to the visuals for episode 8. In episode 8, we see that Sid is aware of these, like, flashes of control, these... Echoes, sometimes they're visual, sometimes they're audio, like there's the dog barking. So the opening sequence to episode 8 has this imagery that we've seen every episode. It's the end credits. Those colorful rectangles that are very 60s to me. And this time we see them as it pans out as part of the machine hooked up to Clark as he's in the hospital. And then, of course, that all leads to Clark's scene. And then we have that line up with where the end of episode seven was, which is Clark confronting everyone with his soldiers, which leads to <laughs> David just saying no and <laughs> making a tower of men. Which I just have to say, I feel so bad for those guys. <laughs> One, I don't know what happened to them after that. I hope they just weren't left there for a while. Just like hovering. And What if they have to pee? It or... looked awful. It looked uncomfortable. I felt bad for which ones were in the more uncomfortable position. Some of them got lucky. I just They're just trying to do their job. And like I said, they're trying to save democracy. And here they are a tower. We also see David being flashy there, just levitating over tree stumps. Yes, in his little pose there. He's got his cross-legged stance, being the powerful Buddha type with his headband. (laughs) We saw Carrie doing his little calisthenics and said namaste. David's like, let me show you. (laughs) Let me show you to do some real yoga. (laughs) David. I think some of the more possibly underwhelming visuals that they have are just the prosthetic work and makeup work that they have. Things like the interrogator's burn makeup, which is maybe more flashy, or the devil slash Shadow King's prosthetic work, which they just released a great video on the FX YouTube channel showing and breaking down how they create the Shadow King. It's really interesting, but to the minor things, like Sid and Carrie still have injuries on their face. They have Mm -hmm. to keep that makeup up. Yeah, that's really good. And we also have Oliver's really cool goggles. (laughs) Yeah, I do love those. I also really liked the touch of the hairy armpits for Lenny there when she was all extra gross. I mean, she's supposed to be just having let herself go. Her mask is leaking or running. Yeah, she's tar on her feet or whatever that was. I yeah, mean, I don't know what that was. goopy Lenny. But contrast that to episode six where she's doing the incredible like music video with the you know yeah. dancing and being all sexy. It's like, okay, this is two different versions. 
<laughs> Both versions are hot to me. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I really liked also the contrast between Sid and Lenny in that scene. Sid's in that all-white outfit that she wears when they bring her to the astral plane. And notably, it was just a version of her real-life outfit that day. Just but all, all white. white and without yeah. the like leggings on that she wears. But I, I thought it was nice. I hope to see lots of cosplay of Sid in those outfits and Lenny like rotting hair crazed Lenny bonus points for any cosplayer who does Sid with yellow eyes which we got to see for just a second there before she re-switched into Carrie yeah that was a cool visual and we saw that as well for Carrie with her yellow eyes we don't see it for Oliver I wonder if I can get a jacket like Oliver's (laughs) (laughs) I imagine it'd be hard to find something to match such a dedicated follower fashion There was a visual clue in that white room scene, which was as the Shadow King is explaining how this deal is going to work, where she helps him get free in exchange for letting David live. She's like, how am I going to do that? And she says, you'll figure it out. And as she says, you'll figure it out, she's rubbing her finger on her lip. Smearing tar on Smearing that black, yeah, smearing the black goo, which is kind of gross and distracting. But the point is, she ends up kissing David. That's how the plan is. And that's exactly what she figures out what to do. When David and Shadow King Carrie run at each other, it's like the blue versus the red, which I thought was kind of a neat contrast to the chalkboard astral plane battle where it was, where it was yellow and purple. I also thought it was notable that when the Shadow King was in Carrie and running at David, her, his power was fire. Yeah. Which we've theorized about this pyrokinetic power that David may have, may have had. Maybe the Shadow King had some powers of his own that he was using. I don't know. It certainly came out in the attack on Division 3. We saw some charred bodies. So you're right. And that, but the devil was certainly in control then. So that mm-hmm. goes exactly with what you're saying there. That it's unclear who was doing that. You noticed something, Aziz, that I didn't notice at first either, that it's kind of a nice thing that David did. Yeah, David stops the interrogator from being slammed against the wall there. It's it's kind of, un- I didn't catch it the first time, I caught it when we watched it the second time. And I think it's part of why the interrogator is willing to, you know, negotiate, change his tune quite a bit. Not only the threat of a Shadow King, which is Aziz, but the fact that David saved his life right there, which is, you know, he also burned him, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, in fact... That moment when the interrogator came out with his cane and hit Carrie in the back of the head, did he know who he was hitting? Was he hitting Carrie or was he hitting the Shadow King? I did wonder that as well, and I, we don't—we just can't know what he saw right there exactly. Yeah. Maybe he saw the yellow eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so after all of this, we see the aftermath in that post credit scene, and we see David has a new shirt. This time it's like a red pyramid with some green inside. I... Don't know what the symbolism is of that exactly, but I do know that now that the season's over, I will definitely be getting a shirt with all of the symbols on them. Every one that David (laughs) has had. (laughs) But we also see this Pokeball that grabs David come up. (laughs) Yeah, what the heck? (laughs) Tune in for that in the next release of Pokemon Go. Ash is finally going to be Charizard. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to cross over Marvel and Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) I also really liked this pan from Oliver in the car over to Lenny in the car, where originally she isn't in there, and it was really well done and well edited, and I was spent a few minutes thinking about how they might have filmed that sequence, because she just only shows up from one part of the car, like from the side of the windshield. Yeah, I think they must have filmed 
without her being in the car. And then right? splice it and together. And then splice out the windshield itself over top so that when you do yeah. it the second time. Exactly. That's what I started realizing they must have done, but I got distracted thinking about it during my first walk. Yeah, I agree. It was a, however they did it, it was awesome. Audio elements. Another thing that distracted me for probably a week and might have distracted you guys as well was I didn't know what song the eye was whistling at the beginning of episode 7. It really was driving me crazy. It, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Someone actually tweeted at Mackenzie Gray, that's the actor who plays the eye, and he told them that it was Froggy Winna Corton. Yes, yeah, you, you, you're right. I was thinking about it a lot too. We were all like, what? Ah, it's on the tip of my brain. What is that? I'm so glad we got an answer. Yes, so we have that. I was distracted by the song that was being played. I don't know if distracted is the right word, because I, I appreciate it so much, I'm going to be negative in some way, the uh, one that Oliver was conducting. Yeah, that Bolero. Music. Yeah, mm. Bolero. It's apparently a remix for the show by the... By Jeff Russo, the composer. Of the show, right. But it's a song, it's like a hundred-year-old classic song that's been in a million things. Apparently it's best known for Tin, the movie with Bo Derek and Dudley Moore. <laughs> I don't know specifically what I know it from, I just know it. It's just been stuck in my brain ever since I saw that episode. I've listened to it on YouTube like three times. Only three? Well, it's a 15-minute song, so <laughs> <laughs> I spent like an hour listening to it. <laughs> There's the short little songlet that we referred to as the eyes music that in the last two episodes was used in a lot of other places and that was first of all just using kind of a villainous spot in episode seven to show the Shadow King. But then in episode eight, it's used like with David as he's coming down to offer peace to the interrogator. So it was used very differently there, although the music itself was a little different there as well. So they kind of expanded the use of that song, which I thought was interesting. Also, we have what looked to be one of their trends, which was starting like a, having a music video in one of their episodes, which they did a lot this season. And they almost did it when Oliver says, and boom goes a dynamite, clicks the button, and then the red lines surround David in his box there with his electromagnetic beams or whatever mm -hmm. those were, those laser beams. And, there's, and then there's like a heavy beat, but then Sid says, wait, and everything stops, including yeah. the music. So it was a really like effective stop there. And then we see this montage with David's memories having the Shadow King sucked out of them, basically. And Pink Floyd, finally, is playing on the show. And they really made up for it by having three songs playing during this montage. Which is funny, because Sid is the one who makes them stop. As in <laughs> Sid Barrett. And yep. she makes him stop the techno song, and then it goes into Pink Floyd. <laughs> the three songs playing in this section were Speak to Me. Breathe, parentheses, in the air, and on the run. We also have Jermaine Clement singing to himself, If I Ruled the World, right after he's taken over by Shadow King, which is a pretty ominous moment there. You can kind of see what's going. It's not entirely 100% sure what's happening there. It's like, uh-oh, was he just taken over by Shadow King? And then once he drives off, it's like, yep. Yeah. And the lyrics to that song are notable, too. There's one line that's talking about how every man will be as free as a bird. Oh. There was a visual clue there, too, by the way, when... The sort of shadow that got blown out after the collision got blown into the room with Oliver. The lights in a room were red, and then when he stepped out, they were blue. So mm -hmm. it's like the red left the room in Oliver. Yeah, yeah, that was really well done. We also had this song that played in the car with Oliver and the Shadow King there. Children of the Revolution, already fitting, by T-Rex. Even more fitting. Yeah, that is too good. That was too good of a choice of a song there. <laughs> That's very meta. Like, most yeah. audience members have no, didn't, have no inkling there was an in-joke there. Obviously, we didn't either, because we only stumbled on it by looking at things as we do. As usual with the audio elements in the show, 
just like there's with the visual elements. We can't possibly discuss them all. We can't possibly point them all out. There's so many. Fandomedia.reviews. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I got the sense that the whole glasses showing the clarity, showing what's really there, which was to remove all the crazy zombies from Carrie and other people's sight, was sort of an inverse homage to the movie They Live, which was a classic B-movie with Rowdy Roddy Piper as the (laughs) main character. And he is able to see, because of some glasses, certain people, quite a few people, walking around like people are actually zombie creatures. And so this is kind of the opposite. The glasses let you see that there aren't zombies there. There's also a more overt reference to Jules Verne, which obviously relates to all of Oliver's diving stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, Noah Hawley also says that the devil with yellow eyes, as in the large version of the Shadow King, the big-bodied, thin-limbed character, he explained that part of the inspiration for that was the reality show my 600 pound life he took the concept of a grossly obese person and combined that with horror elements of having really thin limbs to make it look just really unnatural and really terrifying uncanny uncanny he specifically called it uncanny the actor who plays the the devil with yellow eyes, corpulent version, mm-hmm. is a six foot eight, rail thin guy. Yeah, a young guy named Quentin Bosclair. So you can see that's why he has the thin limbs, but they just put this huge suit over him, giving him the big neck and the everything. Noah Hawley even talked about how Sigmund Freud tried to define uncanny as being something that's not typically uncanny is like something that's superhuman or beyond human. But Sigmund Freud was talking about it in terms of what's scary. And he said that things that are scary aren't necessarily things that are like totally weird or unusual. They're things that are slightly weird or unusual. And the idea of having someone that's skinny and fat at the same time is more disturbing, more uncanny. Because it shouldn't be possible. It breaks the mold of what you believe is possible. And this is true for Aubrey Plaza as Lenny there. Shouldn't be possible for Aubrey Plaza to not be attractive. But there she goes, (laughs) rotting and gooping tar all over the place, and it worked. I was not attracted to her in that moment. Sean still was. Sean still was. I deal with the uncanny better. <laughs> <laughs> some other things we learned from some interviews with Noah Hawley were very uh, eye-opening. The span of the show was about six weeks, as in the whole timeline there that we witnessed. That was a good little thing to learn. We sort of get that from the show, too, because Clark's character has been gone for six weeks in rehab or whatever. So. Yeah, that was a good point. We also learned some things about how this whole thing was written. Of course, we knew from the beginning that they were not following comic book canon, but he clearly is following some parts of comic book canon. In the interviews we saw, he said that he thought it would be like blasphemous to change the origin story. That part is not changeable in his mind. So that pretty much seals the deal that, along with some of these meta clues, that Charles Xavier is indeed his father. It remains to be seen how much we will see him on the screen, because that is a corporate conversation, as Holly himself said. Whether we see him, or whether we see Patrick Stewart, or James McAvoy's version, or both, or neither, we don't know. Right, it's, you're, you're right to say, point out the corporate elements there. It's a, there's a lot of legalese around this whole situation, but no, Holly sounded pretty optimistic. And Pat Stewart himself said that he was into the idea. I wonder how much money needs to be into the idea. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that Noah Hawley said in one of his various interviews that really excited me 
going forward was that he said that he he really likes the idea of shifting points of view. And he said that in season one, he originally wanted to learn more about Sid and dive into her backstory and history, like how we've done with David. But he decided that it was too much. It would muddle things too much. And so he decided to keep it. So I assume we're going to see that in season two, which is exactly what I want to see. I want to see that for every character. I want to see a backstory episode like Orange is the New Black, where we see the Carrie and Carrie Summerland formation story and everything, everything. That would be awesome. Yeah, a lot of other shows have that format. I think Lost is one of the first main shows that did it. And Oz is another one. And I really like that format. You get to learn so much more about characters when you get a full episode or two or three episodes over two or three seasons committed to their backstory, it then adds extra depth to all the rest of the episodes that the characters are in. Absolutely. So looking forward, we're going to see more of this backstory. We're going to see more of Patonomy's history and Sydney and all that. So that is exciting. And we are going to see 10 episodes instead of eight. That's a huge difference. Yeah. And this signifies that we're going to talk about season two stuff a little more now. So That's if- right. So if you're not comfortable with hearing about details, there aren't many details, but there's definitely a little bit of clarification here. You should turn it off now. That's right. If you don't want any spoilers whatsoever, this is the time to switch off. But like she said, the spoilers are pretty minor. We only know basic details. So most of you, I think, are going to want to stick with us. David. (laughs) It's pretty obvious, but... The Shadow King is returning for as long as he's in Oliver. We'll also have Oliver. Which means Jermaine Clement is returning, which yeah, I love. Yeah. <laughs> Noah Hawley said he enjoyed the dichotomy of having a comedian type playing a villain, which he already had with Aubrey Plaza. Now we have two of them paired up with Jermaine Clement and Aubrey Plaza as the villains. So that's going to be really cool. We have comedian villains as a combo. You know, I think that that... Maybe has always been common, but maybe it's more common now. Partially, I think, because it surprises the viewer. When you know this comedic actor for a certain type of thing and you see them in a different role like this, it is even more impressive and it adds to the show's clout. I think of specifically one example off the top of my head is Mr. Robot. Craig Robinson is a known comedic actor and they got him for this dark, dark role. You're absolutely right. There's a lot of classic examples like Danny DeVito played the Penguin. Yes, yes. It's like the uncanny thing. Huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's supposed it's to have true. a good guy being a bad guy, yeah. yeah oh, wow, yeah. that's good. <laughs> Sean, you mentioned uh, budgetary concerns with having someone like Pat Stewart on, which is a totally valid point. One thing that might help is that they're getting a big tax credit, I think it was $11 million, to move the show to Los Angeles. I'm sorry, Los Angeles from Vancouver. Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> so that should change the look and feel of the show a little bit because, you know, Vancouver, L.A., that's a pretty... Those are pretty significantly different filming locations. It seems like they might be moving out from Summerland too, right? If Oliver's taken off under the control of the Shadow King to find something south, I imagine that Division 3 and the Summerland characters might go after him. And I can see how what L.A. might look like might be what Florida looks like. I also wonder what David's little area that he's in in that Pokeball drone looks like, (laughs) whether that could be something set in L.A. as well. It'll be like really warm on the the opposite of the ice cube. He's like, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Desert cube. So what that thing is called apparently is the Equinox. We have General Stanley calling to deploy the Equinox, and here we see it at the end there. Is that General Stan... 
Lee. Oh. oh. That's hilarious. I see what they did there. <laughs> Wait, no. You see what they did there. <laughs> but so regarding the Equinox device, we see that they clearly sent it out. So it seems very likely that this device is the Equinox. When posed the question, the interviewee said, remember when the leader of D3 told his crew to get the Equinox ready? Well, that's what we might have caught a glimpse of in those final moments of the finale. And then Noah Hawley said, if you stuck around for the end scene after the credits, maybe you have a sense of it. Mm-hmm. Which makes you think that that is the Equinox, but he definitely wasn't definitive there. He tried to leave some room for theorizing. Yeah, if that wasn't the Equinox, then what was the Equinox? He clearly gave the order, so th- that would create two questions if it's not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, who what? did send that, and what is it, and yeah. what happened to the Equinox device? And yeah. why didn't they use it before? Yeah, that's, Maybe it that wasn't question ready. might be up there anyway. I thought about that, actually, because that's the type of thing that bothers me, is that when they do something that it seems like they could have done all along, my hope is... It's new. They just got it finished. Maybe it's not even ready, but they don't have a choice. We have to use it now. So. And it was awfully slow. Maybe that was the problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Noah Hawley points out another plot arc that's going to happen for David in Season 2, which is that he's going to have to adjust to life without Shadow King. He has had this being in him for his entire life. And he doesn't anymore. He even himself, David, the character, brings that up when he's got Lenny frozen during the procedure in the machine where he's got the lasers around him, he even says, you know, what that's gonna, what's it going to be like without you? What's my life going to be like? And he brings up sun and moon metaphors and lost limb. People reaching for phantom limbs, yeah. Yeah, so that's... They've already foreshadowed that. Ha, foreshadow kinged! Fandomedia.reviews <laughs> <laughs> So we've touched on these throughout the episode, but there are some lingering mysteries, we'll call them, that we'll be looking at going forward in Season 2, and hopefully we'll get some answers here. One of them is just the obvious David adoption backstory, seeing his father, seeing him look into his father and mother. You know, if there was any, like, decision made with that specific family, why is it this particular family that they were given to, if if that was a thing at all, you know, all the circumstances. We only know the bare bones. Another is, what do the stars say? That was sort of a central question for a whole episode that I don't know how much Walter really wanted to know or how much he was playing the role of Dr. Poole at that moment. I guess Walter's gone now. I wonder if Dr. Poole is actually still existent or not, if he was taken out, you know. But that's a good that's a lingering that's mystery. An add-on mystery, yeah. <laughs> but I really want to know what did the stars say. Yeah, and I also really want to know more about the backstory with Walter himself and the backstory for the Summerland creation about when they did that and when things fractured. And I suppose even if Walter's dead, if they are going to make an attempt to give us backstories for these other characters, he could still be a character in a show in the backstory and flashbacks or whatever. Depending on how far they're flashing back. That's true. Like, did he know who Farouk was, for example? Like, maybe he had some insight on that. Because yeah. Carrie himself was like, of course, the Shadow King. He So the, clearly that name was out there for, for them, for yeah. these major mutants, I guess. Another question was David's use of pyrokinesis in episode one. We haven't seen any concrete answers to whether he did it, whether the, whether the Shadow King did it, whether it was a bomb. Yeah, to me, the thing that's a little confusing about that is Okay, say the Shadow King did it, or say David did it. He had this power, he didn't realize he had it, or that he could use it, or the Shadow King was doing it, or whatever, whatever. Point is that Sid went into David's mind to tell him, hey, drop into the water when you see the lights. How did Sid know? 
How did Sid know that this was going to happen? Or that yeah. he had this power? That's so. why it's an unsolved mystery. Yeah. <laughs> we also wonder about the missing feet, whether that was just a visual trick, a way to, like, a literary device, or if there was really something else going on there. Yeah, certainly they made sure to highlight it by showing us it from David and Sid. So it's something. In different episodes, even. Yeah, different yeah. episodes. It's very interesting. Very spread, very far apart, too. And... This Red Hook mystery, something we talked about a lot in our early coverage of the show because it was alluded to as something maybe that David caused with his powers accidentally, but it maybe wasn't an accident. Now, we would learn in retrospect that maybe it was the influence of the Shadow King, not so much an accident. But in any case, some sort of horrible conflagration or destruction of his town, or we don't know exactly, but it has not been followed up on. Thinking about that, by the way, makes me consider how they might go forward with David's character, especially if they're trying to explore what his life is like without the Shadow King. On some level, any bad thing that he might have done, even if it's not like some evil thing like destroy a town, but maybe if he like shoplifted or said something mean to his mom or his girlfriend or did drugs, anything like that, right? He might be able on some level to justify it in his mind that, oh, I'm crazy or, oh, I'm possessed by a parasite. But now he has no real excuses. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anything that he does that's bad or negative, he'll have to deal with genuine guilt over it, you know? That's interesting. Personally, I'm still curious about the visual that we see of David being yelled at by all those people, surrounded by people. And I wonder if there are any personality fragments in his mind now that maybe had been locked away and we hadn't seen, but... We don't know yet. They could all be pushed to the back by the Shadow King and David fighting for control. If there's lesser personalities sucked in, they would have no way to get a thought in edgewise. Yeah, I tend to think that it might be possible that that visual of the voices yelling is is symbolic of his telepathic abilities overwhelming him. That he is hearing all of these voices yelling all the time all over the world. Or Certainly that's how Melanie seemed to help him with it. But, but it's curious it. to me that it's the same people that we see surrounding him and the visual that it's repeated when he seems to have more control. Like he isn't being overwhelmed by thoughts. Maybe it's just different people in his life who've yelled at him for things. <laughs> for mistakes he's made and they're all just like these negative little pieces them. of emotion. <laughs> yeah. That would be something to yell at somebody for. <laughs> you killed me! One more lingering mystery that I really don't know what to make of is that dog that we saw in Division 3 back early on. Yeah, with the red light coming from out of it. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just don't know what it means. Yeah. Mm, I don't know if we'll ever get any more of that dog now that it's... <laughs> the Shadow King's out in the open. Well, that said, if we see that David and Summerland mutants are working with Division 3, we might see a little bit of the tools they have. That's true. Final thoughts. We're going to add a little extra to our favorite moments section here. We're also going to talk about our least favorite moments for the whole season, as well as our favorite episode of the season, and our final thoughts as we complete our Legion coverage and look forward to season two. Apparently it will be 2018. Maybe it won't be the he, same time next year. He said he's going to be trying his hardest to make it be the same time. He okay. said it's going to make more stress on him, but he wants it to come out at the same time. Right on. So, 8 o'clock on Wednesdays? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> Started next week. Okay, so Ash, what was your favorite moment of the last two episodes? I'd have to go with the whole silent movie sequence, you know, with the soundtrack of Bolero. 
and the monster arrives, those like little cards, specifically out of that silent movie sequence, I liked when the monster arrives and when Lenny is doing those visual like gun cocking motions and all of that. It's just really good acting from Aubrey Plaza. What about your least favorite? Overall, out of the whole season, I felt like the show was missing real deaths and real consequences. There was a lot of times where I maybe didn't want the character to be dead because I liked them, but I felt like they should be dead, and I felt like one of these times the character has to be dead. And I guess that's true for the Eye, but at this point I'm not even sure that the Eye himself is dead. Can't help but be suspicious of him being absorbed into David's mind and... They brought back the interrogator, and I thought he was done for. Even the whole room or scenario at their house where that all played out, where the eye died, I'm not 100% sure that was even real in the first place. Yeah, or... so I generally feel like that's the weak point of the show to me, is I'm not super worried about the characters. They have harsh things happen to them. They get separated from one another, and Oliver is out of commission, and that's sad. But I still feel like I'm not worried enough. Yeah, we saw Lenny click her fingers to shoot Melanie, and Melanie's fine after all. That's, yeah. Little things, the gun shot off all over the room. No one got hurt or died. Yeah. I don't know. It's like a .5 knockdown. I, I just, I, I want people to die. I sound awful, but I do want them <laughs> to die. Okay, Sean, what about you? What was your favorite moment? I have a hard time choosing. I think, like Shea, I'm tempted to choose the, the black and white imagery. It reminds me, by the way, of how going back episodes prior, everyone was, like, silent, like they couldn't make noise, and then the whole time they were in that astral plane, everyone kept shushing each other, you know? I think they needed to be invisible, not quiet. I think uh, But I, I think overall, really, what I really liked most was the idea that David wanted to wanted peace. He wanted to cooperate with Division Three, And that Sid followed up with that, too. I think I really appreciated that. What was your favorite moment, Aziz? Mine was the chalkboard scene. I really liked the reasoning out process and showing it play out with the chalkboard drawing. I thought that was really cool. I thought it was innovative. I just liked the visual elements of it. And I liked him figuring it out, which leads me to my least favorite moment, which is, well, it's not a moment. I thought there was too much exposition in the final episodes. There's too much of Carrie explaining things. Just, this is how everything works. And it's, it's, these are kind of, it's, some of it's just a little convoluted. It's like, how can he know all these things and his ability to build this device that just does exactly what's needed? <laughs> and on the other hand, I wouldn't, like, like you say, that this isn't a big deal. You know, these are minor criticisms because I, this is, I had these expectations. This is a Marvel show. I mean, it's outside of the normal Marvel properties, but it is at the heart. It's a comic book thing. And these are comic book tropes. Yeah. Characters not dying, a comic book trope. Characters coming back, that's a comic book trope. A villain that just cannot be defeated completely. Uh, you know, the bullets not hitting people. Those are These are all tropes that I've learned to live with. I definitely point to them as criticisms, but they, they can't possibly bring it down too much because you got to expect it. They maybe could do it, but it would take like five more episodes, which probably equals fifteen million more dollars or whatever. Right. Like I understand for timing and budgetary reasons, sometimes you need to have a character just explain something or have a magic device that David puts in his head. Now the bad guy is under control or whatever. The show has just done everything else so well that you know, pointing to a few weak plot elements or a few weak characters, it's like you need a lot to sink this show, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to find a lot of criticisms to get past the amazingness of how it's made. You yeah. know, just all the things that they put together that are really different and unique. So my least favorite moment of the past episode or last couple episodes was something we kind of mentioned earlier, which was just a lacking of 
character development from characters that seem pretty key, but we don't get much from Tanami and Rudy. And that kind of leads me to my favorite episode of the season, was the first one. I thought the whole setup, David in this interrogation, the reveal of what's behind it all, the questioning of what's real and what's in his mind, everything about it, I really loved. Just I was just totally enthralled with the beginning of the show. Plus, it's extra long. Yeah, and it was an extra long episode. There's more to it. But it also had my least favorite moment of the series, which was the breakout at the end. <laughs> it's sort of like sudden, you know, typical action-y kind of stuff that I don't like that it seemed like the show was avoiding. And a lot of it came from this character, Rudy, who we get almost nothing. You know, he like finally appears six episodes later, but you barely get two lines of dialogue from him. So again, my negatives are like minor footnotes on these things I hugely love. What about you guys? What were your favorite episodes? I'd say mine was episode four, which is the one where they go to the ice, which is the one where David goes to the astral plane, meets Oliver in his ice cube, and you get that great feist montage to him listening to music and dancing, beat poetry, just all of it. I loved it. And the other thing I really liked was that you get this exposition, you get this explanation of Carrie and Carrie's relationship. You see this deepening of Sid and female Carrie's characters. And I really like that. That's what I want to see. I want to see their backstories and I want to see character development. What about you, Aziz? I really liked episode three. That was the horror episode, I guess you could say. It was when the strongest horror elements came out. The world's angriest boy in the world had his most terrifying scenes. Chasing Sid through the vents. Absolutely. There was a lot of really good horror, which is funny because I'm not a horror fan at all, really. It's not my genre that I move towards at all. Partly because the the genre is full of gore, which is shock value. And this was legitimate tension and stress and, and terror. So I like that more. And I think I described at the time as I looked down and I was literally at the edge of my seat. So <laughs> I give the show a lot of credit for getting that reaction out of me. So I had to stick with that one as my favorite. Nothing was able to unseat that visceral feeling I got, which is hard to do. So we all had episodes in the first half as our favorites. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'd also like to say that maybe not like a thing or a moment or a episode that I like, but just overall from the series, I like the variety that it had. It had so many different things and different types of things going on from the way they're presenting things to the styles from like the horrorish episodes to the music video moments to the some dramatic moments, some insights into human nature, just on and on. Just like it was just firing on all bases. I really love the show. All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our coverage of Legion. Feel free to suggest other shows you'd like to see us cover. We certainly rely on fan feedback as much as possible. You can reach us at our website, fandommedia.reviews, on Twitter at, at thefandommedia. And if you're smart, you should be watching all the shows that we're watching. <laughs> <laughs> but if not, we'll see you for season two of Legion next year. So until next time, I'm British Rational Fan. And I'm the Shadow Fan. And I'm Oliver Fanthony Bird. You stay out of that ocean. <laughs> <laughs>